Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here on 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today for this very special Week 11 preview show. None other than the man himself. Week 11 projections are up from John Paulson. Paulson, how's it going? I'm doing all right. Uh, trying to keep up with all these uh, injuries that are happening, fast and furious. Uh, I always want to check... Uh, the news before we come on because I don't want to say anything stupid if a player has been ruled out for the year. It seems like it's happening more and more uh, as the season goes on. It's the time of the year where those start-sit questions on a Wednesday are even more useless than they were at the beginning of the season. Sam, you and I dealing with the second day of snow here in Chicago. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's, uh, yeah, uh, fortunately the snow is not sticking yet. Uh, I need another like week or two before that really sets in because it was like 70 degrees last Thursday, which is not a big of that big of a surprise in Chicago anymore, but, uh, we're doing well. We're looking forward to this week and, uh, looking forward to Thanksgiving next week as well. We will have a special content schedule going out this weekend, most likely for Thanksgiving as we jam most of our stuff in between Monday through Wednesday. But on today's show, we will be getting into our favorite buy low candidates. But I do want to tell you, there is a special episode coming that is catered exclusively to the fantasy trade deadline. And it's coming your way today, Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, with our own Brandon Niles, Dynasty League Football's Ryan McDowell, and Fantasy Pros' own Pat Fitzmaurice, who never texted me to play golf earlier this spring because he said he lost his swing. I don't believe him at all. I think he was terrified. So tune in, whether it be live or later tonight when you're listening to this show via the Most Accurate Podcast feed, live special edition coming to you on the 444 YouTube channel. Let's get into it, Paulson, because we saw the most Christian Watson game of all time defining the spectrum of his career. Two first quarter drops, followed by four catches for 26 and a half yards per catch and three touchdowns on those four receptions. Christian Watson, of course, a player that very clearly offers explosiveness and now the opportunity as well ahead of the not only cold months, but the fantasy playoffs, a friendly schedule. If you were to look at four for four zone adjusted fantasy points allowed tool in weeks 14 through 18. What are your thoughts on Christian Watson moving forward? Well, I think we saw why Brian Gutkus decided that he wanted to draft him. I mean, he's bigger as far as receivers versus cornerbacks. He's bigger and faster than anyone on the field. And he finally put that all together. He's been really struggling with injuries. He's been injured all year. He'd come in, get back for a game, then he'd get concussed, then he'd you know, be back, you know, in and out of the lineup. Tough to get any sort of rapport or consistency with Aaron Rodgers in that scenario, but he put it all together last week in a big win, a desperate, desperate win that they needed against the, the Cowboys. And um, you could sort of see his potential there. Like, this is why they drafted him. Uh, I think moving forward, you're not going to get wide receiver one type numbers. I don't think out of him, uh, any sort of consistent basis, but he could certainly pop his head up into the wide receiver two, wide receiver three uh, finishes on a pretty consistent basis. If he continues to play 70, 80% of the snaps, uh, Romeo Dobbs is still on the shelf with the ankle injury. Uh, Lazard is, I, I think still a safer play on a weekly basis, but uh, yeah, we certainly saw what he can do, and if if they can connect on one deep ball uh, per game, then you're getting you know you're going to get a pretty good result out of him on a, on a weekly basis. A route on 84% of dropbacks and team high 40% target share. I will note Alan Lazard was doubled by the Cowboys underneath for a majority of the games, which is why when you look at his target chart, everything came near the line of scrimmage, which is not the case for the rest of his performances this year. But in the leagues he was available in, Sam, for myself, I splurged the rest of my fab because it is week 11. We all live, on average, seven to eight and a half years per Google. Uh, our fantasy teams may live only three more weeks, and we can't take the cash with us. So I think it's a player, given everything Paulson and I noted, that I am willing to put the rest of my fab on. Right, and he's one of the few options – not only this year, but, you know, just in general, where we see a wide receiver available on the waiver wire that 
could provide, you know, some startable value. Most, you know, it's not like running backs where you, you get a handcuff that immediately fills in. So I think you're, you're doing it the right way by spending a lot of fab on him because you don't get that opportunity very often at the wide receiver position. I will say, I think the Packers have been very inconsistent in how they're having their run pass splits. If you look at their weekly pass rate over expectation, they're jumping up and down each and every week. So there's not a ton of consistency there. But I do think that, again, in an offense where, again, Paulson mentioned Dobbs is still out, Sammy Watkins is not anything at this point. Christian Watson was essentially drafted to be the MVS uh, replacement, the, the deep downfield threat that can get open with that speed. So he ha- he certainly has the ability to have those spike weeks like we saw this past week. I do think his floor is still you know, pretty close to ground, ground floor, but there we we've seen now what his potential is. And if you're struggling at the flex position, or again, this week with a lot of wide receivers uh, injured or, or on by he's, you certainly could do worse than Christian Watson at this point. Over the weekend, we lost even more confidence from a tight end position, Paulson, that we had no confidence in to begin with. Uh, Zach Ertz, tight end four in fantasy points per game out for the season. Dallas Goddard, tied in five in fantasy points per game, slapped on IR, out at the very least for the next four games. David Njoku has yet to practice as Kevin Stefanski continues to lie to us, even though his initial timeline was four to six weeks. I never expected to get him back within two to three weeks. And so we can look for replacements here, but I think the macro analysis of the situation is that unless you have Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews, you're just screwed like the rest of us. Like we are all piecing together just someone to slap out there. I don't even start Kyle Pitts, but I refuse to let him maybe go off on someone else's team. So I sit there and make him watch my team play on my bench every week. (laughs) Uh, I think I would feel pretty good about starting TJ Hawkinson, given his, his usage uh, with Minnesota Kittle is always a, uh, a weapon, but just been up and down with his production. Uh, There's been, a couple guys that have emerged. Obviously, Cole Komet, uh, five touchdowns, I think, in his last three games. The, the, the Chicago five, five touchdowns on 11 people. catches. We're going to get there. Don't yeah, worry. Not a lot of volume, but, uh, but you know, you get two touchdowns in back to back games. You're on the radar now and, and, and at the tight end position. Um, Dalton, Dalton Schultz, I don't know if he's out on waiver wires anymore, but uh, he's, he's right back there in the top five, six every week with Dak Prescott. Uh, and just kind of moving down the list, Isaiah Likely, I, I don't know if uh, Mark Andrews is going to be back. Um, but even if he is, I think Likely is a decent start. Uh, he's probably their second best receiver at this point, even if Mark Andrews is healthy. Uh, Foster Moreau is doing okay uh, for the for the Raiders as a spot start with uh, Darren Waller out. Juwan Johnson has a few touchdowns in the last few weeks. Uh, he's a decent dart throw. Trey McBride is the one guy that I'm interested to see play now with Zach Ertz on the shelf. He's the Mackey Award winner from last year, the two, uh, the first tight end that was drafted uh, in uh, this this year's draft. Uh, he's got good speed, uh, went over a thousand yards receiving for Colorado State. Uh, so the issue I think with Arizona is that they've got Colt McCoy right now, a quarterback. We're not sure when Kyler Murray's going to be back. Um, but McBride, if you're in trouble at tight end, I think he's a, a good person to add. And then. Trey McKitty is kind of interesting too for the for the Chargers with um, both Donald Parham, he's on IR, and then Gerald Everett's dealing with a groin injury. Uh, did not play a full game last year, so there are some dart throws out there, and there's some interesting pickups. But uh, you know, all in all, it's been like this all year where the you know there's the haves and the have-nots at uh, at tight end, and they kind of change a little bit here and there throughout the year based on who's playing where. where but um, certainly, you want to have Kelsey or Andrews right now if, if Andrews is healthy. And I noted this in the waiver column that the microanalysis of Trey McBride in the other year, I would easily fade him. Uh, he's come off the bench for Zach Ertz. So he's replaced Zach Ertz, and he's still been targeted on just 4.4% of his routes. Uh, I know the usage was there on Sunday, 62 of 68 snaps in place of Zach Ertz, but that one target he saw from Colt McCoy has been Trey McBride all year long. But big picture discussion, again, sure, why the hell not? 
because we need anyone. That's where we're at, Sam. Juwan Johnson, whose routes have now gone down in back-to-back games because Adam Troutman's route participation has increased. Who cares? Just get him on your team. Logan Thomas played a season high in route rate this past game against the Eagles. Uh, Didn't see much of a target share, 13.7%. But again, who cares? Because we need the tight ends. And that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, I think the other thing with Juwan Johnson, again, like beggars can't be choosers at this point, so you might not have a better option. But depending on who starts at quarterback for New Orleans, it sounds like there's a chance they go to Jameis Winston this week, but he had only targeted tight ends at a 14% rate in the third, uh, excuse me, the three games that he started earlier in the year. Andy Dalton is at 20%, which is around league average so there there is some potential there I think I'd be more confident starting Johnson if Dalton did end up starting but again you might not have a better options and then Foster Moreau like uh, Paulson mentioned we we know now that Waller is going to be out for uh, at least three more games he's run a route on 85 percent of the team's dropbacks since week five which is the the first game that Waller missed technically he he played but was out the entire game essentially and that's an an elite route run percentage for a tight end so I think Moreau given the usage that he's already had would be my top priority uh, for tight end this week if he is still available in your leagues I want to move on and discuss a few rankings debates that people are probably having internally with themselves with Christian McCaffrey, and Elijah Mitchell Paulson, because I've not heard your opinion on this situation just yet. Christian McCaffrey, of course, 18 touches to Elijah Mitchell's 19 in Mitchell's first game back post-buy against the Chargers Sunday night. And more importantly, Mitchell outcarried Christian McCaffrey 18-14. to 14. What are your thoughts moving forward on both of these players' situations? Well, th- I don't know about you, John, but this was really surprising to me that, that Mitchell got this much work uh, period, like even the rest of the season looking at it with this sort of share, touch share, but also the fact that it was his first game back and they gave him this sort of workload. I think what this reveals is that Kyle Shanahan and company uh, view Mitchell as as good or better of a pure runner than Christian McCaffrey. Uh, they may also view McCaffrey as a player that needs to have his workload limited given all his uh, injuries the last couple of seasons. And we're just not going to see the massive, massive 25-plus touch workload uh, for McCaffrey that we've seen him at times get in uh, Carolina. So, you know, 18 touches is still a lot of work uh, for him, and he can still deliver steady uh, RB1-type numbers with that sort of workload. But, uh, you know, overall RB1-type numbers are probably not within reach as long as Mitchell is healthy and they're giving him this sort of workload. And I think for Mitchell's sake, you know, he's not going to catch a lot of passes, uh, but he's going to be a touchdown dependent, uh, you know, RB2, RB3 type who uh, could get there with a hundred yard uh, game and a touchdown. They are still kind of run heavy, uh, which is a little bit surprising as well. I thought they might go more pass heavy, but they went very run heavy, 32 carries for these two backs. Uh, so I think that moving forward, I think you're looking at McCaffrey as an RB1, obviously top five, top seven type player uh, on a weekly basis. And then Mitchell's kind of working in that, you know, 15 to 25 range based on the matchup and, uh, you know, his usage in the recent weeks. My spin of it is that I am skeptical of Elijah Mitchell's touches. And I think this is the Christian McCaffrey floor performance. McCaffrey, who still ran the fourth highest route participation, route rate of any running back, in week 10 and he finished as the RB 11 on fewer touches in half PPR and PPR leagues than Elijah Mitchell. Uh, and I believe it was catered against a chargers defense, allowing a league high in rushing yards per game because even Debo Samuel had four carries. That's the first time since week three Debo Samuel has had more than two carries in any game. And so I just chalked it up to, this is how the 49ers plan on attacking the chargers specifically. And if that's the case, Sam, I've gone into this week wanting to buy Christian McCaffrey everywhere, thinking again, that's his floor. Yeah, and I think I I think you can get away with 
getting him at a, a, a slightly lower value, especially for the, the Christian McCaffrey managers that were watching the game because Christian McCaffrey got out snapped in the red zone nine to eight uh, compared to Elijah Mitchell. And there were so many sh- sh- shots of Christian McCaffrey just standing on the sideline when they're, you know, in the red zone and, and close to the goal line. And I have to imagine that that frustrated McCaffrey managers. And I think it is one of those potential situations again, uh, that was mentioned about maybe they are limiting McCaffrey right now, not giving him some of the quote unquote empty touches that uh, he doesn't need to take on his body. We heard, uh, I think the Panthers this off season sort of talk about that in, in a sense as well, because the the 49ers are, are in it for the long term and they want to be able to use him in the, the postseason. I, I do think that the, run heavy nature of the 49ers game plan uh this past week was dictated a lot by the Chargers run defense and and how bad it is so I wouldn't be that concerned overall um I guess from a a pass catch uh excuse me um a rushing perspective but it is something that I am monitoring Elijah Mitchell I I do agree that he's more running uh excuse me touchdown dependent than McCaffrey. McCaffrey is still getting an elite workload in the passing game, which is what he's known for. So I do think, again, whether people think that uh, McCaffrey is a buy low, I think that's uh, up for debate, I guess, for the for the managers themselves. But if there is an opportunity, I'm, I'm pouncing on that right away. And I would be slightly worried if I were in a position to start Elijah Mitchell. I guess if you have no choice, that's okay this week, given the bye weeks, given all the injuries, but forcing him in there because he had 18 carries, I don't think that's the way to play it in week 11. Curious to get your thoughts on DJ Moore as well, Paulson, because we've seen the story already play out this year with Baker Mayfield now taking over for PJ Walker and Sam Darnold as well, looming. No idea how that situation under center will play out, except for the fact that DJ Moore didn't go over 60 receiving yards in any game with Baker Mayfield earlier this year. Yeah, uh, 5.39 yards per target for Moore from uh, Mayfield. And P.J. Walker was over eight, I believe, the last time I updated it in the last two seasons with Walker at quarterback. So it's just a a quarterback downgrade for Moore. Uh, They don't have a good rapport. Uh, The only thing you can maybe bank on is that you know, it is a tough, tough week for receivers with all the player, uh, teams on by and, and injuries. So, I mean, the one thing you can bank on with more is you probably should see eight plus targets given the situation uh, at receiver there for the for the Panthers. But, you know, I'm not optimistic that he's going to have a big game. Uh, you just haven't seen it from with him and uh, Baker Mayfield to, uh, this year. And to be fair, those games with Baker Mayfield also included Christian McCaffrey and Robbie Anderson. So although these are going to be prayer yards, uh, at least there may be more prayers to send to the heavens and we may get a good response here. Sam, any thoughts on Panthers backfield? Because in my opinion, Deontay Foreman, who I got wrong last week in that two weeks ago, of course, nine touches uh, or seven carries, did absolutely nothing in a blowout game script against the Bengals. Chuba Hubbard returns. I was very tepid about playing Deontay Foreman, and now we've seen his best games, three of the last four, come in a situation where he was initially out-touched by Chuba Hubbard, but then Hubbard got injured, allowing Foreman to close the game on a hellacious run. And then, of course, he did well against the Falcons in two of his last three games because everyone does well against the Falcons. So I've actually been selling high on Deontay Foreman moving forward. What about your thoughts on the Panthers' backfield? I'm right there with you. Carolina's had a a negative pass rate over expectation in each of their last five games. Again, most of those coming with PJ Walker, but uh, excuse me, Atlanta, the best matchup for running backs, uh, according to four for fours adjusted fantasy points allowed. They played the Ravens this week and then the Broncos next week. They are the sixth and third most difficult matchups against running backs. So, I think selling high is the right opportunity right now. I I don't expect them to be quite as run heavy as they have been, despite the, I guess, success that they've had. But 
it's it's one of those situations where against the the Ravens, I think for sure they'll be in a position where they're forced to pass more. Uh, the Broncos, they could keep it close against. And then they have a, a week 13 bye. So that's that's three weeks where I really probably don't want to start forming if I, I have better options. And I think selling high right now is the, the best move to make. And Deontay Foreman, Paulson, just a 5% target share as well. So a volatile, much more volatile floor than we expect the past three games. What are your thoughts on Foreman for week 11 in particular? Well, I've got him ranked as a low-end RB2. I mean, Sam outlined the the issue with him is that we've got Baltimore, Denver, and then the bye. But if he's your RB3 and you don't have to start him or – you're not going to get what you maybe want for him and trade. I mean, the trade deadline's coming up, you know, pretty quickly for a lot of fantasy leagues. He does have Seattle in week 14, Pittsburgh uh, week 15, and Detroit in week 16. So he's going to be very useful uh, for playoff teams, especially that Detroit game in the, you know, what is most likely the league semifinal. Uh, you know, he does look like a high touch guy in that sort of a scenario where they're playing the lions who are really bad against pretty much all positions. And he's got 118 yards or more in three of his last four games. So, I mean, I think he's usable in the next two weeks, but we might see another line like the Cincinnati line where he had seven carries for 23 yards. You just got to understand the the downside uh, in a bad matchup like that. Another player we have to sift through because there are a lot of moving pieces is Kadarius Tony. Because now we've seen his snaps and his target share increase in consecutive games since joining the Chiefs. But at the same time, you can also point to Nicole Hardman being out, missing practice on Wednesday as of this recording. Marquez Valdez-Scantling just last week, leaving and then returning, also missing practice on Wednesday. And then, of course, Judas Smith-Schuster suffering that nasty concussion on Sunday as well. So the path has been paved for Kadarius Toney, at least in the short term, Paulson. How are we handling this? Because... In my waiver column, I rank Kadarius Tony over Christian Watson rest of season, and I understand it's a tough situation given everything we have to sift through, even thinking ahead five weeks from now. So your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think when this trade happened, my concern with it was, was he going to be able to get on the field and how quickly with with Hardman playing well, Juju Smith-Schuster was playing really well, uh, they... Marquez Valdez-Scantling does other things for them. So that was certainly the concern, but the seas have parted. It's like Moses, uh, you know, trying to cross the Red Sea. Is it the Red Sea? I'm not up on my Bible verses, but the this is all like played out for him. Like he's, this is perfect for him uh, to get on the field quickly. You know, they, they showed intent by trading for him. Uh, Hardman not practicing today. Juju had took a really tough hit. Very difficult to come back uh, from the concussion protocol in one week these days. So I think for at least this week, uh, he's looking at a pretty high snap count and he's got a, a decent matchup against the Chargers. I've got him ranked 28th this week and half PPR. Uh, certainly going to play a lot of snaps given what's going on with the uh, Chiefs receiving core. Sam, I saw you shaking your head when I mentioned Tony over Christian Watson. What are your thoughts? I, I would 100% agree. I mean, I think thinking about the offenses that they're tied to, I mean, I don't... I don't see any way that Juju Smith-Schuster plays this week from just an, an optics angle. I don't think uh, the Chiefs want to put him out after after that that scary, scary hit. But uh, again, Tony's routes increasing, just the quarterback that he's playing with, the pass-heavy nature of the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm, I'm 100% in that Tony is a better long-term option than Christian Watson and and even for this week. For David Montgomery, Paulson, I think the door has been opened up because of Khalil Herbert's injury. We've seen Herbert and Montgomery split touches due to this hot hand approach over the last month. But the one game that David Montgomery missed this year, Herbert handled 71% of the team's backfield touches, out-touched Tristan Ebner 20-8. to And I would assume that's what we're going to see moving forward for David Montgomery since Herbert just got slapped on IR. Yeah, I think we're looking at bell cow usage for Montgomery over the next four weeks. I mean, the only roadblock might be if they want to get Ebner more involved and and they feel like Montgomery can't handle that sort of workload anymore. Um, 
he averaged Montgomery averaged 20 touches per game. I believe the last two seasons, certainly last season, he's only hit that mark once this season uh, since the, the bears decided to get Herbert more involved. Um, but I, you know, I think there's a good chance that he sees it as long as he stays healthy, he sees 80 touches over the last, over the next four weeks with Herbert out. Uh, the Falcons are giving up 130 total yards, 1.1 touchdowns per game uh, to the position on average this year. So it's a, it's a really nice spot for Montgomery. Sam, Chicago's backfield moving forward. Any other process you're using here, whether it be stashing Tristan Ebner, who's the only active running back right now behind Montgomery for these deep league FFC playoffs, for instance. Yeah. Ebner, certainly the, the first guy that stands out, the, the bears have been run heavy all season. Now, Justin Fields is taking a lot more of those opportunities than he had in the past. Montgomery, I think has the passing game, uh, sort of locked down from the running back position for, for whatever that's worth at this point. Um, I do think that there still is a potential opportunity for Ebner to get more run than uh, I think people might expect with this again, hot hand approach that they're saying again, Montgomery is averaging negative 0.78 rushing yards over expectation uh, per carry since week seven, which is when Eberflus sort of made this hot hand uh, comment and Montgomery's snap usage or excuse me, snap share hasn't really decreased that much. It's just been the, the workload for him. So I, if you want to sell high on Montgomery, I think you probably can at this point, given this news, but I've, I mean, I've never been a big Montgomery fan. He just isn't that efficient. It would be more down to the teams that he's playing and the, the potential um, defenses that he has to face. I mean, he has excelled against poor defenses and then just sort of crumbled against some good defense. So it's it's probably just like a, a status quo thing for me, for Montgomery at this point, and Ebner some, certainly someone to look out for. The people are pissed about DeAndre Swift's usage, Paulson. No more than 10 touches in any game since he returned from injury and just 23% of the snaps these past two weeks. My spin on it is that, yes, DeAndre Swift is unusable right now, but you look at our playoff matchup planner at 4-4 and weeks 15 through 18, this Lions backfield has the fifth easiest schedule for running backs. So I still want to use this opportunity long-term to definitely get him on my roster, even if I'm a winning team, thinking he's a potential RB1 that I can slide into the flex down the road. But your thoughts on DeAndre Swift short-term right now? Well, he's just a sort of a desperation RB3 flex start at this point. Maybe low-end RB2 if it's a really nice matchup and you're you're banking on him breaking one on one of his 10 touches. But, I mean, he saw 10 touches in Week 8. He saw five touches in Week 9 uh, and then seven touches last week. And this is kind of, you know, without Jamal Williams really being hyper-efficient or running the ball really well. I mean, Jamal Williams is doing a good job of carrying the load, but it's not like he's tearing up the league. And just uh, you know, forcing himself onto the field. Uh, snap share is all over the place for Swift. He had 55% in his first game back, then 16%, and then 31%. So we just don't know uh, what we're going to get, uh, you know, out of him on a weekly basis. But as you mentioned, that the playoff schedule is fantastic. Um, you know, maybe he work. He's working his way back into a 15-touch role by the end of the year. I know he's frustrated with his role. Um, but, um, you know, the, the, he's just sort of having to accept it right now. I think the lions, you know, won that game in Chicago. So you just kind of shut your mouth when the team wins. Um, but he can't force his way onto the field, uh, by, you know, just by complaining. Uh, so whatever they're doing with him and his health and the reason they're limiting him, you know, Jamal Williams is the perfect guy to just absorb 20, 25, carries and to protect him if they're if they're looking at this as a lost season too and they're just sort of building blocks and they're not going to run swift into the ground trying to win games in the second half of the season any further thoughts sam on deandre swift long term anything you're seeing in his usage i do think the most frustrating thing for deandre swift is that justin jackson is somehow still involved he got seven opportunities in the game this past sunday played 28 percent 
of the snaps. I will say on the encouraging side for Swift, he's had three high-value touches in each of the last two weeks. And again, his his rock sh- or excuse me, his uh, snap share rose from week nine to week 10. His opportunities rose from week nine to week 10. So I, I'm in a situation this week where I have to choose between Swift and the aforementioned Deontay Foreman. And I'm currently leaning Swift. I, th- I just think he has the potential to be a top five or 10 running back in any given week, to be honest. And again, this it's very scary because this usage is is not what you want to see. But last week, I believe, was the first week that he was completely removed from the injury report, injury report heading into the game. And I think as he gets further and further removed from this injury and, and getting more reps, that he will start to get more involved. The, the biggest frustration with him is that Jamal Williams is the goal line back. They they really are not going away from him when they get in close. So that makes it difficult. But Swift is one of those guys that we've seen can break off a 30-plus run or a 30-plus catch as well and sort of make his day based off of that. I understand the landscape, again, for tight end, is calling for Cole Komet as genuinely a top-five option because that's where we are. But at the same time, Paulson, given that he scored five touchdowns the last three games on just 11 catches, and this is a Justin Fields-led offense that is still averaging just 23 and a half pass attempts per game in his last five-game league-winning, soul-stealing stretch, I think it's a terrific situation to sell as high as humanly possible on Cole Komet. Uh, Given that we saw him actually only score 20.8 20.8 fantasy points in half PPR leagues through week seven. And then, of course, these last t- three games, even just last week, he went over that total in one single contest because he scored two touchdowns, as you mentioned, in back-to-back games. Uh, and I think a Cole Komet package can bring back, like, DeAndre Swift and Dalton Schultz, or even, let's say, an A.J. Brown. I think that's where people view him right now. And if that's the case, I want to leverage him for as much as possible. Uh, certainly, if you can... Uh... Strike while the iron is hot on desperation at the tight end position. Um, it's a good time to go for it. And it also depends on what your t- t- you know tight end situation is. You might have him as your backup, or uh, maybe you want to target a Schultz, who is probably going to be more consistent rest of season uh, than Komet, given the nature of the passing game in Dallas versus Chicago. Uh, you know, back-to-back 22-plus point games. Prior to that, he had a nine-point game. He did have six six targets and seven targets the last two games, so that's uh, somewhat encouraging. I mean, I think Cole Komet coming into the season was a breakout candidate for me. Like I thought, uh, with Justin Fields in his second season, uh, Darnell Mooney was the only you know viable pass option uh, in that offense uh, with Allen Robinson gone. Uh, I thought Komet would be the number two option. He didn't crest uh, four targets through the first seven weeks, but now he's starting to see uh, more more work. They're starting to figure out how to use him. It appears the uh, passing game is opening up a little bit, um, but they do have Chase Claypool, who they do want to perhaps work in more. He did; he was fourth or fifth in routes run uh, amongst the team's receivers last week, which is a little surprising in the second game. Um, but you know, I'm generally optimistic about Komet, given you know the last two weeks of usage. Uh, even though you do make a good point about the time where this is probably going to be his highest value of the year. And let's talk about Chase Claypool for a second, Sam, because uh, his route participation in this second game with Chicago's playbook was actually lower than his route rate in the first game. Eight routes, as Paulson mentioned, in all, which was fifth on the team behind Darnell Mooney, Equinemius St. Brown, Dante Pettis, and then that was Byron Pringle's first game of the year, and he ran more routes than Chase Claypool. That's certainly worrisome. So what is your view of the Bears wide receivers from Justin Fields moving forward? I think Darnell Mooney is the only one that I really have any interest in moving forward. I think it seems like maybe Komet has taken away from some of Mooney's production at at this point. And Mooney is just a a talented wide receiver in and of himself um, and didn't have fewer than five targets since week three before week 10 when he only had four targets. So it's it's still a situation sort of in general that I don't really want to put a lot of equity into because they are 
run heavy. It seems like they are passing, uh, excuse me, spreading the ball around a lot more than people would hope. I mean, going back, if, if you're able to get Dalton Schultz and AJ Brown or DeAndre Swift, like you, I think you need to make that, that, that trade in a heartbeat, but the, the wide receivers here, it's, it's tough to rely on them from a week to week basis, knowing that again, the bears are going to be a run first team. And there's just a lot of weapons that they think can be usable. And it's, it's very tough to predict who's going to break out in a given week. Byron Pringle's first game since being injured in week three, I should say not of the year, but Paulson, you mentioned Claypool. What are your thoughts on Claypool for week 11? As you mentioned earlier, the wide receivers this week, and it's very true. Like we are stuffed. We are just stuck trying to find scraps here. And so people may be in a situation where they might have to play Claypool. I think there are better options. I mean, I have him at 59, so there are probably better players available on the waiver wire to pick up and start. Uh, I'm sure I'll discuss that in the Sneaky Starts article this week. Uh, I just don't see – I'm not seeing any – If you, I'm not seeing any indication. The only thing he has going for him this week is Atlanta is 32nd and just a fantasy points allowed to receivers. And if you start him, you have to just pray that his – Either his route participation increases and he gets a significant number of targets, or he makes one big play on the eight routes that he does run against Atlanta and gets there based on that. I mean, I think that first game was really encouraging based on the number of targets he had, based on the number of snaps he had. But to be behind Byron Pringle and St. Brown and Pettis uh, after the team traded a pretty significant draft capital for you two weeks into your stint there, uh, pretty depressing in terms of his outlook for rest of season. He's got to get going uh, quickly, but I don't think that week 11 is a, is a great week to start him unless, you know, you're just really in dire straits. And it is Darius Slayton week. I don't know if anyone's heard it's a holiday. So I would much rather go that direction than chase Claypool. Sam back to charts. You would like to discuss the Cardinals backfield as James Connor handled every touch, but one in this past game. Yeah, so Monday morning, the Cardinals released Eno Benjamin, who was filling in well for James Conner when he was out. And I think the only reason we see that is if Arizona is very confident that James Conner is healthy and his usage showed that he had a season-high 21 carries and 95.7% snap rate. He had another five high-value touches, and he's had – at least five in five of the seven games that he's played this year. So I don't think you can really ask for much better usage than that. I'm certainly not selling high on Connor right now. The The Cardinals are in the top half of the league in terms of giving running backs high value touches. The one other name to sort of note here is Keontae Ingram, who was splitting some of the reps with Benjamin while Connor was out. He was the only running other running back to get a snap in week 10 as well. So he, I think, slots into the running, uh, excuse me, the handcuff role for Arizona now. And Paulson, I do want to stash Keontae Ingram moving forward, uh, given James Conner has already been injured twice this year. His body is more brittle than most running backs because he's more heroic than most running backs. Uh, And so Keontae Ingram moved up my contingency top 10 in the waiver wire quite high this week. That makes sense. And I, I you know, Daryl Williams, I believe is on IR. He'll sh- he might be back in a couple of weeks. I don't think he's done for the year. Uh, so that's somebody else to monitor for the stretch run with, with Connor. The only other name that jumped out to me here was Elijah Mitchell. Just as, I don't know, what was his first game or did he get injured in that first game of the year? Uh, he, so he had five, looks like he had five high value touches per game. So that must be five in this last week. Uh, pretty high percentage. He's up. He's there by Delvin Cook and James Conner and um, Travis Etienne. So, you know, if they're going to give him, I assume that that with with him not getting many catches, that would be goal line Sam. So yeah, maybe it's a, they are. It's a lot of the inside the ten carries that he had. Conner. So if they're looking at him as the goal line back, uh, that's that's interesting as well. I also see Ronnie Rivers in the middle of that minefield which like Austin Walter of 2021 is a name that no one will ever remember. Let his team in touches at some point, middle of the year, Sam, what are your thoughts on the Rams convoluted backfield? I mean, 
get rid of all of them. I, I mean, it's so so far this season, all Rams running backs have combined for 122.6 PPR points. That would be good for just running back 20 on the year if if a single running back was getting all of that work. And there was some hype this week for Kyron Williams coming in uh, in his first game healthy. He only played on 20%, excuse me, 27% of the team's snaps, got four total opportunities. Daryl Henderson still looks like he's the lead back at, at this point. He had a 55% snap rate and has only dipped, uh, had dipped below 50% in the previous two weeks after not having a week below that in the first six weeks. But he only has two games with at least 15 total opportunities this season. Uh, Cam Akers is an afterthought. He was made active for this game, but played a season low 17% of snaps in games that he's been active for. I This offense, again, losing Cooper Cup, it, you know, we don't know where Matthew Stafford is at in terms of, of his health. There's, you know, I, I would think a chance that they shut down both of those guys if there are some major injury concerns. So I would think, you know, if you want to hold out hope for one, it's maybe Kyron Williams, again, similar to Swift, maybe as he gets further removed from the injury, he gets a little bit more leeway, but you're, you're really, you know, I'd rather start Elijah Mitchell over almost any of these Rams running backs at this point. And this may murder the stream if I add this. No, okay. I don't know how StreamYard works, but I have this tweet just highlighting the Rams leader and running back touches from earlier this week, which as you can see live, it's an absolute mess. It changes every single week. And just for Henderson to handle only 41% this past game, um, an absolute disaster. But Paulson, I want to discuss the Rams backfield or the Rams wide receivers because Cooper Cup now out for at least the next four games on IR. They say he may return, but given that this team has three wins and there's no hope in sight, I genuinely doubt he returns. I put him on the drop list because I do not expect them to do anything but lose the rest of the way, and there's no sense in bringing him back then. Is there anyone you are trying to pick up? Because again, tough week for wide receivers, so maybe those 14 yards on seven targets from Ben Skowronek may have to be forced into the lineup. <laughs> yeah was just looking at their route participation and Skowronek uh, did he ran 40 pass routes uh on 40 dropbacks for John Wolford so uh he's out there um I think he had seven targets as you mentioned had a couple of decent games earlier in the year uh ju it's just a volume like he has an opportunity to catch some passes uh, I don't really want any of these guys if if Wolford is the quarterback if it's if it's Stafford then you start to get a little bit more uh, interested in perhaps using one of these guys as a dart throw. Um, I would certainly have Allen Robinson just based on his uh, resume ranked highest. Um, I do think Van Jefferson is decent, a uh, decent player. He's had some pop-up games. I think he's a more of a fantasy factor than Skowernick, uh if if they're given equal usage. I don't know if they will be. Uh, Cup played 25, uh, uh, ran 25 routes last week. Jefferson ran 14. He's still sort of working his way back. So he was fourth amongst receivers in routes run. Um, but I mean, long story short, this has turned into a bad offense. Uh, quarterback is dinged up. We don't know if he'll be available this week. Uh, so it's it's really like a maybe a three week span here where you might be able to use Robinson in a uh, as a plug and play, and then we'll see if. I mean, I think the answer is probably Tyler Higby. Um, he, he did he did pick it up back up last week, um, but it, it's pretty dire, as you mentioned. Higby, a team high in targets, eight this past game with Cooper Cup off the field. Another wide receiver, Sam, I actually have confidence in, even more so over Claypool, is Nico Collins in this Texan situation because now the last three full games Collins has played, he's out-targeted Brandon Cooks in those contests and he's outgained Brandon Cooks in those three games, 196 to 114 significant. So what are your thoughts on these Texans wide receivers and shuffling through them? I would agree. Nico Collins uh, coming off, I think probably the best game of his career. He earned a career high 10 targets found the end zone for the first time this season. He also ran a, a season high 80% of routes on Sunday. So I think there is some optimism that this 
usage continues. I mean, it, it, you're, you're getting really desperate if you're starting a Texans wide receiver. Brandon Cooks is essentially a non-factor at this point. He got dropped in an FFPC league that I'm in last week, and there I, I just really didn't have much excitement about picking him up or even putting a bid on him. So, I mean, I, I think I'd prefer probably Tony or Watson, Christian Watson, two guys we've talked about over either of these two guys moving forward. But again, back to Nico Collins, I do think there's starting to be maybe a little bit more trust between him and uh, Davis Mills. The depth of target for Nico Collins has dropped a little bit. He was their primary deep threat. He had an average depth of target over 15 yards for the first several weeks. That's come down to about 12 now. So he's, getting used a little bit more. I think there is some optimism. Um, I, again, this week you might be forced to start Nico Collins, but going forward uh, may be someone I'd rather just hold on my bench. Any confidence to lend short-term for Brandon Cooks, Paulson, because we've now seen he hasn't eclipsed 75 receiving yards since week one and still only has one touchdown on the year. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, he had a touchdown this week uh, called back due to penalty. So uh, at least we have that to hang our hat on. Uh, I still think he's a good player. He's been really one of the most consistent receivers uh, in the league, but it does seem like his time with the Texans may be coming to a close one way or the other. I don't know if his heart's into it. Um, so I, I'm just not like super bullish on him ever being back in the top 15 or 20 with the, uh, with the Texans. Uh, the thing on the thing for both of these players that we should probably note is that there is a bit of hope schedule wise um, this week. They have Washington. Uh, it's the first of five green matchups out of seven games rest of season. And the two games where they're not green matchups are Miami 15th and adjusted fantasy points allowed to receiver receivers. And then Dallas 17th and adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers two games that the uh, Texans are very likely to trail. Uh, so like rest of the season, there's not much better out there in terms of schedule than uh, what Nico Collins and uh, Brandon Cooks have. Whether that translates to fantasy production, uh, I don't know, but Nico's been pretty good. Uh, so certainly uh, appealing there and, and Cooks has been good, you know, career wise. So some appeal there as well. Brandon Ayuk, a roller coaster of a game on Sunday night, but still eventually got there. And more importantly, out-targeted Debo Samuel, 7-6. to six, That, of course, being Debo's first game with Christian McCaffrey since he was injured prior to the bye. Sam, anything you're seeing from the 49ers' backfield that makes you higher, lower on one or the other? Or, I'm sorry, the 49ers' receivers. So, earlier in the episode, when we were talking about tight ends, Paulson mentioned that you're really probably only safe if you have Kelsey or Andrews. And I, I, I noticed he didn't mention George Kittle, and I think... I think that's right. I mean, it, it hasn't been a uh, an amazing season for Kittle. He's certainly sort of ridden some waves throughout the the year. He had just two targets in the game this past Sunday. Again, I mentioned their pass rate over expectation being extremely low in Week 10, but it has started to trend down. It's gone down in each of the last four games that they've had. Now, I don't think that I expect them to be nearly as run heavy as they had been uh, in week 10, but certainly something to be monitoring. And we're at the point now where there are more mouths to feed than there were in the past for a time. It was really just Debo and Kittle. And now Ayuk is flourishing. They have Christian McCaffrey. Again, Elijah Mitchell is not involved in the passing game, but he's getting some carries as well. So it's something where I, I think I still would like would rather prefer uh Debo Samuel Samuel over Ayuk for the rest of the season but I do think Ayuk's floor is a bit higher he has at least six targets in each of the last four games he's getting end zone targets as well which is huge and Debo only has one game with double digit targets this season so I think his ceiling is is also a little bit lower than it was in the past this offense is still I think really good and probably the the top 12 or 10 in the league. So there are going to be weeks where one or, or multiple of these players go off. So I wouldn't be jumping ship 
quite yet, but this this is something to, I think, keep an eye out for as we, you need to make some important flex decisions and, and starting receiver decisions down the line as we get into the playoff weeks. And Paulson, you did make the shift in your Week 11 rankings, listing Brandon Ayuk as the wide receiver 11 and Debo Samuel as the wide receiver 13. Yeah, things just have seemed like they've changed. Uh, Ayuk's been really consistent and uh, in terms of his end-of-game you know, end game logs. I think with the Kittle thing, he did have three good games before their bye, um, but they're, they're decent to good games. Um, and then just last week's two target, you know, 7% target share is really alarming. Uh, you, you see Christian McCaffrey with six targets. Uh, he's eating into the into the target shares there. Uh, Jawan Jennings, uh, four, uh, more twice as many targets as, uh, as Kittle. Uh, so just not trustworthy. And I think that's part of the issue with the 49ers. We, you know, we were wondering if with McCaffrey and Debo and Ayuk and Kittle that they might go more pass heavy uh rest of season. But uh certainly in a you know really great matchup against the Chargers rush defense, they didn't do it this week. If they get back to 50-50 or maybe a little bit more pass heavy than that, then then maybe you could start counting on all these players uh, as fantasy starters. Let's get into some closing thoughts, trying to set people up for success ahead of week 11 as we get closer to the fantasy playoffs and wins are more crucial than ever. Paulson, what are you doing with Josh Palmer if Keenan Allen and Mike Williams play since they are practicing as of Wednesday? Uh, I don't think I'd move him down to where he would be if they were fully healthy and we, you know, we're just like the every week starters that we're typically used to with them. Um, but he's not gonna you know, right now. I've got him at 18, assuming that uh Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are still out. Uh, so he's probably gonna be down in the 40 this week with a pretty short week of receivers. He'll probably be down in the 40s as a kind of a dart throw. Uh, he might, might be a six target guy who could make some plays off of that, but I'd probably have them have him in the Duvernay, Gallup, Nico Collins type of a range. Um, and it, certainly his value of everybody in uh for the chargers takes the biggest blow if if both those players are back sam any thoughts any confidence and either keenan allen mike williams if they are returning in this game against the chiefs confidence no i I, again there's it, it it should set up for a negative game script for the the chargers here but justin herbert just isn't pushing the ball down the field at all, despite what uh, some other analysts might, might think out there in, uh, in the space, but which is, which is a shame because he has one of the best arms in the league and it, it inherently lowers the ceiling for these players right now. So I, I think I would be okay starting them, but it's certainly uh, not something I'd be very excited to do. If Marcus Vadis Scantling and or Nicole Hardman were to return, Paulson, where would Kadarius Tony fall in your rankings? Tony, of course, right now, who is a top 24 receiver. Well, I think you, you know, you're looking at it as a total Juju's out, right? So likely out. Um, we don't know about Hardman. Uh, it just, you know, is he one of the top three healthy receivers that they have? And if he is, then he's going to be decent this week as a, as a possible starter. I mean, I'm looking at him right now uh, with uh, MVS as their top two receivers. Obviously, Kelsey is their top receiver. But, you know, if, you, if you're assuming Hardman is out, MVS is back, Juju's out. Uh, I've got MVS at 26 and Tony at 28. You could probably flip those two depending on how you wanted to approach it. But. Um, if, if Hardman comes back, then they both would be, you know, moved down because Hardman has been playing really well in the last, you know, few weeks prior to injury. Sam, last we saw the Ravens for their bye, no Gus Edwards leading Kenyon Drake to somehow get 26 touches, score two touchdowns. Gus may be back this week. What are your thoughts if Edwards were to return about Gus in your lineups? If Gus were to return, I I wouldn't want to start Gus Edwards. I it, it looked like they were sort of turning. I mean, Drake had a really good game against the Saints on Monday Night Football. I I do think that he has sort of earned 
more touches at this point. And again, there is Lamar Jackson, who again takes away the rushing rushing floor for some of these running backs. And if they're splitting between those two, I, I certainly don't want to uh, be trusting Gus Edwards in my lineup. What about Kenyon Drake, Paulson? Any confidence, RB3, 4? How would your rankings adjust following the tea leaves of Gus Edwards' return? Well, I have him in the rankings right now. I have Gus at uh, 37 adjusted fan, uh, because the Panthers are adjusted uh, 29th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. Uh, so I've got Gus at 37. I don't think that they'll give him the uh, normal workload that they were, you know, kind of ramping to with him being the starter with J.K. Dobbins still out. Um, but, you know, given it's a hamstring injury, I don't think they want to aggravate it right away. If he does play, they'll probably ease him back in. And that leaves, I think, the the bulk of the touches to Drake in a really nice matchup against the Panthers. And finally, the Falcons' backfield last week, Thursday night. Tyler Algier, 11 touches. Cordero Patterson, six touches. Caleb Huntley, five touches. Avery Williams, four touches. Paulson, was that for short week reasons with Patterson just his second game off of injury? Or is that something we should expect moving forward and thus lower Cordero Patterson in our rankings every week? Well, I think we saw a report or we discussed, I seem to remember that we discussed this maybe last on last week's pod, but uh, with the short week, Patterson's an older player. You know, coming back from his first game or for, from his long uh, first game from a long layoff, had 13 carries. Um, I've, it's speculation, but I think that they were just limiting him on that short week, and that he's going to have a you know a 10 day mini buy here to get ready for Week 11, and is going to be back in the driver's seat uh, in what's a really nice matchup against the Bears. 26 and just the fantasy points allowed to to running backs. So I have him ranked as a, like a mid range RB two, but you know the confidence level there is not as high you know, as it was maybe heading into Thursday night's game, thinking that he would continue to see double-digit touches. I mean, it is a four-way committee, so there are a lot of options there if they don't want to uh, overwork him. Confidence level in Drake London, Sam. What's uh, what's the ranking here on a scale of, like, what, 0 to 10? It's probably a negative 4. It's, okay, fair. it's, I it's mean, not it, good. It is a I, week he, where we may have to start him. He he got the the end zone target last week, caught the touchdown, which which is good. But I mean, again, you see some of these deep balls from Marcus Mariota, and it 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 explains why they're not passing the ball quite as much. I do think that again, he's he's one of the better options if you are stuck in a bind. I, I think I'd rather start. Who would you rather start him or any of the Bears wide receivers? Because that's that's a, a similar comparison. I would, I would start Darnell at. Mooney. I would start I Darnell Mooney. None of the none of the others, though. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. Drake London. Yeah, I mean, I've got I've got Mooney at 14 and uh, London at 39. So yeah, I'd start Mooney. But anybody else, I don't know. I wouldn't. I mean, I think I would start London over Claypool or whoever else they might run out there. And those Kyle Pitts prayer yards we always see cited on Twitter. Just remember, Kyle Pitts leads the league with 30% of his targets being charted as off-target. Thus, those don't come to fruition. Those don't matter. Is, it, is this the last chance to buy uh, Kyle Pitts and Dynasty for, for low? Once they get oh, the Dynasty, yeah. I thought you were going to say yeah. redraft. I was like, no, I'd, no. I'd rather just eat a ham sandwich and not do anything. Um, Dynasty, well, the thing about buy Kyle Pitts low is that you always have a chance every Monday. Every Monday, you could buy Kyle Pitts lower. So I don't know if this is the last opportunity. Well, if, if the trade if there's a trade deadline, but I guess in Dynasty, they okay, probably wouldn't fair. be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this offseason, for sure, you're you're definitely not getting Kyle Pitts. Um, you know, especially if there's a quarterback or coaching change. Like that's really what we need here for Kyle Pitts moving forward. What else do you have on the site coming this week for everyone, Paulson? Uh, sneaky starts uh, doing the podcast on Friday. Next Friday, by the way, we're going to take off after Thanksgiving and just too difficult to try to record uh, with the families uh, after Thanksgiving. So uh, we're going to have this Friday's pod and then we'll skip a week and then come back the following Friday. We will be back for Wednesday's pod though, still yes. one day before Thanksgiving. And we will have at least DFS content as well as our redraft content on the site, still going out for everyone. Sam, what about you rest of week? There's a rumor you had the best hop into conclusions on the site that was ever written in the last six days. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to exaggerate and, and, you know, 
pump pump things up too much but over the last six days it's it's probably the best thing i've ever written um but yeah that is out on the site now have the breakout article coming tomorrow a, a number of charts as well and um yeah just a lot more fun coming up next week too and quick reminder there's still half of the fantasy season left if you can believe that and you can still get 50 percent off a sub to join everyone else in the discord and on the site all the rankings we discuss paulson sifts through the projections diligently every week 50 percent off 44.com if you just reach out at not on twitter and until then be a little bit counter on what's required we'll see you then